Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all new, better than ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week, we're speaking to a driver and commentator known by all motorsport fans, Alex Brundle. We discuss his racing career, his broadcasting career, we talk about F1 and the F2 drivers progressing into the series this year, and we invite him into our very special motorsport time machine. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. I'm Ollie. With me today we have our panel, Abby, Sam and James. And we have a very special guest by the name of Alex Brundle. How are you doing today? Very good, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, good to see you again and, and meet you for those I haven't uh, met before. Now, you've you've got an extensive racing career. Uh, endurance, Le Mans, open wheel series such as GP3, Formula 3. And you're currently commentating on F2 and F3. But let's start by talking about one of the greatest races in motorsport itself. Um, of course, that's the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So you've raced in nine races, eight in the LMP2 class, one in the LMP1 class. Um, th- this is a, a race where people might not understand all the different format series specifications. Can you just explain for us first how Le Mans works and all of the different types of cars and action that goes on throughout that 24-hour race? Sure. So there, there are four races. It's it's F one for a long time. Basically, is is what I always open with when yeah. when somebody asks me about the Le Mans twenty four hours. Uh, a road based circuit, although less and less uh, based on the road, more and more bespoke uh, between the towns of Le Mans uh, and Mulsanne in in France, uh, taking a little stop by Arnage. Circuit is around thirteen kilometers long, so that puts it what, about at least twice the length of a, of a normal Formula One venue, for example, laps around three and a half minutes. You have four races going on at the same time. So that's why they call it multi-class racing. Um, so you've got the top level, which is now called hypercar, what used to be uh, LMP1. The LMP2 category, uh, which are the, the smaller prototypes, sort of think about it as the Formula 2 of endurance racing. And then you have uh, GT cars. Uh, This year, we've had GT cars uh, for professional drivers run by the manufacturers and paid for by the manufacturers, and then GT cars with pro-am lineups. So a couple of amateur drivers, they're still faster than your your average Joe. They're pretty impressive race car drivers, but they're uh, not at a professional level, and then sharing with some pros as well. That's all going on all at once. 
uh, over 60 cars in the race. We go for 24 hours or so if the, if the clue wasn't in the name. <laughs> and that's so, so all night long. Uh, times can vary exactly about when it starts, but it starts around 3 p.m., ends around 3 p.m. the next day. And uh, when it gets dark, we turn the lights on, keep going. That certainly seems like it's a very difficult race to compete in. But your first one was obviously you were partnered with Lucas Ordonez and your father, Martin Brundle. How was that experience to do the 24 hour of Le Mans with your father? I mean, that was actually, yeah, it was a it was an overwhelming experience, partially because doing Le Mans uh, is an overwhelming experience the first time that the race has a lot of. Um, a lot of very specific traditions to it. For example, scrutineering occurs extremely, what feels extremely randomly in the middle of the town uh, closest to the event. Um, there's a big parade of the drivers before you uh, before you start the race, and that happens on Friday. Uh, as well as you know, it being for for Nissan, the manufacturer that supported us uh, that year, and then as well with with my dad, which was a, a really a really crazy way uh, to go about doing the first one because it attracted way more attention than really I actually you know it, potentially I actually wanted when I when I did Le Mans for the first time. Uh, Dad was incredible with it, and we dropped into honestly, we dropped into uh, the the vibe of just being an older, more experienced professional driver and a younger, learning professional driver in much the same way as I've seen happen over and over and over again in endurance motorsport. So uh, we moved away from being father and son actually for that weekend, uh, quite bizarrely, um, and and went into our professional mode. It's only afterwards you really get a recognition of how special that experience is and and something I've well, of course uh, remember and, and cherish forever having that uh, experience and opportunity with him and uh, you know since, since that that race you haven't had the same trio in the car um year on year do you find that causes creates a, a, diff, a difficulty in terms of getting gelling chem, having chemistry or do you kind of relish that challenge that kind of you get each year with finding out each other's strengths and kind of different styles of driving. No, it really gives you such a broad spectrum of experience, um, sharing with an ever moving rotation of drivers and, and it, and, and the broad spectrum of driving styles that, that, that you share with. There's always that moment at the start of the year where if you don't know your teammates, uh, oftentimes, you know, drivers operate in sort of a, a group within endurance racing and you kind of spend time together. You're out, uh, out in Fuji, out in Bahrain, out in the Americas together. So you, you, you'll see, uh, the, these people moving around and, and, and have a kind of cursory knowledge of, of who they are, where they've been and, and what they do. But if you don't know your teammate, um, there's always that moment where you kind of like, you meet them for the first time and you go, Oh, they're not an idiot. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. They're not. <laughs> they're not going to be a difficult. Going to be a difficult character. I've been extremely blessed throughout my career to to share with, uh, in the main, excellent, intelligent, and 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 friendly teammates, um, and some very fast teammates too. It is a challenge to get the car how you all want it to be in terms of a compromise, but it's an incredibly satisfying thing when you sit down and give your feedback about a car and your teammate is sat across the room, your your teammate who you, you may revere uh, and you may greatly respect for their other achievements and their uh, previous history in motorsport, um, sits there nodding in agreement and just uh, when you finish delivering your feedback goes, I completely agree right down what he said. There's something, there's a great sort of uh, sense of, of togetherness that, that comes with that. Oh yeah, no, I, I can imagine. Um, but you, you won the 2016 European Le Mans series in LMP3, uh, I think with United Autosports. So how does the European series compare? And you know, how is it, of course, becoming a, a champion? Yeah, that was, that was, that was a great year. I was coming back off a year out uh, of motorsport. Um, so uh, to come back in, you know, I, I had uh, intense, quite intense determination that year. You know, I was not at an age where stopping uh, racing was was what I wanted to do. And uh, I didn't have a drive uh, the year before. So I, I, I jumped back into the car, I was super motivated, and the team gave me a car which could win 
And we knew from the outset that that was going to be the case. When we tested, uh, we were out front. When in the early races, we had the pace. Um, and putting a championship together um, was was something that I, I, I found came quite naturally once the pace of the car was there to make those kind of decisions that you need to make in order to, you know, you start thinking all of a sudden about the, the bigger picture. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, a great team of people, um, and, and a great experience. The, the European series falls in that gap really between uh, a formula one minus, which is what, uh, LMP2 feels like, you know, you have a free flow of drivers, for example, you know, Nick, De, Nick DeVries, Guido van der Gaard, uh, Esteban Gutierrez, Jean-Eric Verne, um, uh, Antonio Felix de Costa, all of these guys who are very much on the brink of F1, then jump into an LMP2 car and start to deliver that level of minute detail and, and minute, um, you know, uh, uh, attention to to the elements which are important for performance to a prototype car so that's operating at an extremely high level um the european series where where i ended up in, in vice champion in 2019 in an lmp2 car kind of falls in that gap between that and sort of some guys throwing themselves in a prototype and having a laugh for the weekend and it's really a, a such an important stepping stone for drivers between those two worlds of hyper professional prototype racing and you know throwing a sports car on track for fun yeah you mentioned that that great team uh with united also sports obviously that part of that team maybe the most famous part of that team now would be zach brown uh who's obviously with mclaren and f1 did you get to meet zach at all and if so what was he like yeah of course um yeah no i, I spent um, zach was very engaged actually because i was the first prototype driver united autosports ever signed um uh so i was i was literally I remember walking into their old into their old factory uh, up in Leeds uh, near Garforth, and what is you know just down the road from what is now their massive unit with uh, all of Zach's historic collection in it, plus their uh, massive uh, prototype setup with I think they have they'll correct I'm sure Richard Dean would correct me, but uh, four plus LMP2 cars sitting there, multiple LMP3 cars that race all over the world and. But I remember walking in and seeing these two Ligier LMP3 chassis uh, sitting in the workshop, and that was that was all they had, um, along with a bunch of historic. Zach was super engaged with the team, came to pretty much every race uh, that year, and uh, was incredibly supportive. Uh, actually, did did his absolute square best for us. The team was run in a way which was. Uh, high level and, and quite, and quite focused. And, uh, yeah, it was great to spend time with him. He, he threw me mid year after we'd won a couple of races. He threw me mid year in a, it's a Clint Boyer NASCAR from 2007 uh, to like, do some yeah. laps of Paul Ricard, which was like one of the coolest things I've ever done. Actually, it was, it was Fair. pretty awesome. So I will, I'll forever be thankful for that. People sometimes they, they think, right, F1, F2, F3, they're the fastest cars in the world, they're the most powerful cars in the world. But can you just explain an LMP1, an LMP2 cars, the performance of these cars is utterly mind-blowing, and especially now the hyper cars. Um, can, you compare the, can you compare them to drive? Yeah, so, I mean, jumping out of something like a GP3 car, you, you feel weight is the biggest thing for, for, a, for a prototype car. But, you know... Uh, Porsche actually put out uh, a 919 tribute car, which was the car that uh, competed in LMP1 before the last time Porsche. Uh, and I'm old enough, and I'm old enough to remember the last time Porsche did it. <laughs> I mean, they finished, I think, in 2014 yeah. um, with that car, but were beating, you know, Formula One pole laps with that car, with kind of augmentations and changes and so on. Mm. Um, so that is the level of, of performance the cars are capable of. Um, you know, are they as quick as Formula One cars? No, no, they're absolutely not, not in, not in competition. What always blows my mind when I look at, especially the LMP1 era of sports cars, are, uh, for example, the, the last iteration of, of Toyota would complete 13.5 kilometers of, uh, you know, 13 and a half kilometers of Le Mans in, in three and a half minutes. Now, if you're UK based, uh, London, a relatively large city, that's, 
that's probably the distance between the well i actually chucked myself on google maps and had a look once it's yeah. the distance between uh king's road and the o2 arena by, wow. via the london road system wow in 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 three and a half minutes and it'll do that <laughs> and it'll do that for 24 hours in one hour in one hour stints and it'll run for an hour on 35 liters of fuel which is uh, it, so, so my road car is a is a four series BMW has a fifty five liter fuel tank. So it has a smaller fuel tank than I would say most, at least most sort of medium performance saloon cars you would have for the road, but can complete that distance in that time for a uh, you know for an hour long stint. Add to that the fact that if they crash it, break an entire front end off it. They can put it in the garage and have it out and ready to run as though it was starting the race again in about 45 seconds. So, I mean, the level of performance, reliability, and 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 capability of the cars and teams is just outstanding. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unreal, isn't it? You know, just how at the pinnacle of motorsport, it's you know, it is like that. Um, but with with racing generally, obviously, you've raced in you know quite a few different categories. What would you find? What do you find the most challenging with racing? Do you find it something like you know different car characteristics, different natures of circuit, race locations, competitors, or is there something else that you kind of is the biggest thing that you have to address on a weekend? The hardest part of the racing is the hardest part of racing is politics. That that's the that's that's the hardest part of racing that I that I that I really struggle with um, in terms of moving a, moving a career forward. Um, you know, once you're in the car, you're you're doing your thing. But in terms of deliver, I, I, the thrust of the question is in terms of delivering the the performance. You know, between Friday and Sunday um, on the racetrack, I think actually uh, racing has changed a lot, even throughout my own my own career, especially sports car racing, where you know it, it used to be, uh, for example, at Le Mans, the first time I did it in 2012 the Porsche curves were a tunnel of concrete, you know, the, the concrete walls lined the racetrack and, and that was, that was okay. And then, you know, as you progress back through history, uh, I was watching a, a historic Grand Prix um, uh, clip a few weeks, uh, just sorry, a few days ago. And I just, uh, around the Silverstone Grand Prix circuit, I was amazed by the high curbs and the grass. You forget these sort of gentle changes to, to the racetracks, which have occurred. So you used to be able to hang a race car out with a little bit of with a little bit of bravery and a bit of manual skill, and you would be you would be on the pace. Now with car park runoffs, with uh, the amount of space there is to play with, all of a sudden that element of danger, that element of fear, is not there. So more people can get closer to the eventual pace. What that does is makes racing a psychological game of who can deliver the tiniest margin, you know, when push comes to shove at the final moment. So I believe racing in, in 2022 or 2023, as we're about to be, uh, is, is more psychologically challenging uh, than it's ever been before, which I think is the hardest part about, about modern racing, really. We were actually looking at a picture of you before this podcast, and by picture of you, I mean in the car. Um, and um, uh, we, we saw you in one of the LMP2 cars without the enclosed cockpits. And we, we just looked at it, we're like, wow, this is alien now when you look at it like that. Do, do you feel the difference now you're enclosed in these cars rather than having that open cockpit? Yeah, it's, it's really weird, you know. I um, and, and even, so so the car you're probably referring to, well, there were a couple of cars I drove with open, but there, there was a Zytec Nissan, which was the first ever one I drove with Dada in 2012. And then I drove a Morgan Nissan, which was a Courage changed <laughs> um, in, the, in the World Endurance Championship in, in 2013. And I was doing the testing for Ligier for the next iteration of car, uh, which was the enclosed JSP2. We, we led Le Mans in for a, for a few hours the, the year after. And even after I'd done a little bit of aero testing in the closed car, I jumped back in the open car and it was like, oh, this feels... It feels risky, you know, yeah. and it just, it's amazing how quickly your perception changes. But yeah, I mean, driving an open top car now, 
um, without any kind of halo on it, as I as I do occasionally, but but very occasionally, is uh, yeah, feels feels quite feels quite uh, terrifying, alien, surely. Really. Yeah, like alien, <laughs> yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but I used to do it all the time. You know, mm. did twenty four hours in one, sat there in the rain in one behind the safety car, and didn't think anything of it. God, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, well, we covered cars. Uh, move on to drivers. You mentioned some great names earlier, but um, who who would you say is the best all round driver that you've you've had the pleasure of driving with or against? I guess in uh, in your career so far. Um, so, what's great about sports car racing is you you get to see everything, right? And you also because you're helping each other out and working on broadly the same goal, there are no cards close to the chest either. So it's mm. not a case of just getting to see the data of the driver that you're sharing with and sharing your data with them. It's a case of, you know, you can actually sit in a debrief and go, do you like the curb of turn six and whoever you're sharing with and, and in, and vice versa, you're kind of duty bound to tell each other because it's, that's the way that sports car racing works. So you get a real great view of the driver in the round. A couple of names bounce out to me. Um, Rene Rass, I think was probably my fastest ever teammate in, in, in qualifying, um, in a, in a race run, very good as well. Um, throughout an endurance race, um, the man I've shared with this year, Esteban Gutierrez is extremely, extremely good, um, as a, as an all round race car driver, uh, Robin Frines. Uh, I shared a car with in Daytona in 2019 uh, was was extremely, extremely fast as well. Um, Antonio Felix da Costa, who I shared with it, at Carlin in uh, 2012, uh, was always good. Uh, I think that there was a, a top guy as well. So those, I would say those four guys off the top of my head stand out as being my most, you know, teammates who I, who I had to really concentrate you know, when you were turning up to when you were turning up to share a car, or indeed share a garage with those four guys, they would, you know, they were guys that would make you look very slow if you didn't if you <laughs> didn't deliver, yeah. and if you did deliver, you would be a tenth ahead, maybe two tenths ahead at best. Well, throughout your career, you've raced on many different tracks. Out of them, what would you say has been the best track to drive and what track that you haven't raced on would you most like to drive on? Ah, easy question. The first one is that the Nordschleife is, is the best is the best racetrack in the world, um, especially the Nürburgring 24 hours. It is just, uh, it's just an outstanding experience uh, and somewhere that has that kind of old school charm as well. It's such a Marmite place, you know, when... Uh, I know a couple of drivers who've had a go at the circuit um, and just didn't want to drive another lap, you know, went out, did their, you have to do like a permit course and a, a kind of, it's a little bit like the Indy 500, the, the Nürburgring 24 hours where you have to go and sort of build up speed and, and, and prove your competence before they'll actually even let you race. Um, so I know drivers who've done that process and um and just never wanted to see the place ever again but you know when when you get up in the morning and uh, and push around push a proper gt car around there with the mist hovering over brunchen and everything like that it's just fantastic um a circuit i've never driven is bathurst and i'd really like to mm. um it's 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 over the hills and far away uh, over in uh, on the <laughs> other side of the world but but i'd love to go around there i've also never done a lap of suzuka which um, which upsets me greatly. Uh, yeah, those, so. are, those are two tracks, Alex. I, I wouldn't have expected you to say. I mean, Suzuka. I mean, we've all done laps of it, obviously, in, in games and simulators. But Bathurst yeah. as well. They are two incredible tracks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just uh, Bathurst is yeah uh, one of those road bound courses where it's just like they've just gone. Should we just race from there, sort of to to over there? And then everyone's just sort of agreed. And they've gone. They've not really changed that much, and they've gone after it. I love. I love that conceptually. And obviously, Suzuki is just iconic, isn't it? What a what an old school venue. What do you think about these new tracks then, like, like the Jeddahs and and things like that? What's your take? Do you think street tracks that are that fast 
are not right? Or, or what's your take on, you know, the Miamis and the new tracks we're seeing? Um, each each can be judged on their own merit, really. I think uh, there are another sequence of uh, changes to Jeddah announced um, recently, which uh, I think are, you know, are beneficial changes, particularly the curb which falls on the exit of turn 10, uh, which catches drivers out. It was Mick Schumacher had a really nasty incident there, um, wasn't it? I... I feel like those tracks need to be um, in motorsport and in Formula One because they're thrilling, uh, they're exciting, and they show the accuracy that can be achieved by the drivers. And I think that's very important because um, in with the way that the the permanent race circuits are are developing, um, it's very easy with the amount of runoff there is and the amount of space around the venue to to not get a sense for our audience who are who are ever rotational especially in a sort of a drive to survive generation where we're getting a big new audience in uh, to show the accuracy and skill that's required because it's very easy to view drivers driving around in a big open space and think I could jump in and do that why am I why am I watching this why are these people why are these people in these cars and what's special about and I think a circuit like Jeddah does show that. Singapore is another one that really demonstrates that. I mean, there's a reason why Lewis Hamilton's pole lap around Singapore is revered. Uh, I think you know, the, I think 2018, isn't it? Is revered yeah. by by all as being one of the greatest uh, Formula One qualifying laps of all time. Um, and the track has something to do with that. Um, so, I, so I like I like those venues. Obviously, safety has to be a concern, but I would rather throw those venues in front of the cars and then tweak them for safety than I would start from a point of sort of neutered car park and try to make it exciting. I just don't think that works. Well, obviously, you race as part of your career, but you also commentate on Formula 2 and Formula 3. Was it natural to kind of go into commentating on these championships or did you feel this pressure given your father, your family name and kind of an expectation from the listener? Yeah, it's, it's a weird one that um, I, I kind of, I started with that straight after I did, uh, I did GP3 actually. Um, and, and they needed a commentator for uh, Formula One, uh, sorry, Formula Two uh, in Silverstone in 2013, the year I was doing the, the World Endurance Championship. Will Buxton rang me up and I happened to be free uh, and then I kind of bounced on through, had these, these sequence of great experiences, actually, when th- that all used to happen at the racetrack. We're all we're all remote now. Um, uh, uh, and then it was offered a uh, much to the much to the uh, uh, displeasure of my director at the time was offered a works Bentley test uh, in Portimao. Um, let them down quite late. On the, on the on the next on the next sequence of races and and was kind of like yeah it didn't really get didn't really get the job again um, and that's how that really came about and then I kind of I, I ran into the same director at a, at a at a function at the RAC club um, a, a, like a while later and kind of bounced back into it it was kind of never the plan really. Um, but sometimes the best things you do work out that way. Um, and I, I love, I love doing it. Um, I, I always want to do it because people want me to do it. Not, not because they, they, you know, they think I should or, or through any kind of, uh, connection or, or, or because I, you know, the, the, the comment I really resent is that I'm doing a, any kind of impression of anyone else. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying what I see. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's, it's one of those sort of life's life's kind of great mistakes that I, that I ended up doing that again. And I kind of bounced through it for three years now and, uh, and love doing it. I love watching the races and, and talking about them. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there are some genetics um, in there that just just happen to come through, right? But in terms of you, you've driven the cars that you're, you're you're commentating in, right? So what I've always enjoyed about your commentary is you're getting a race driver talking about what's actually going on, and and sometimes that that really brings the sport to life. Do you think that? Do you realise you're doing it quite quite as much as you are because you really go through the steps and it, it brings you into it in a way that not many other commentators can. 
I always thought that the idea is to put the you know, my my function in the commentary box is to put the audience in the cockpit of whatever car we're watching, and if and if we're watching two cars, I need to do it for both. So you know, th- this is what this driver's thinking. That's what that driver's thinking. They need to try to do. And and what's amazing about the the position I have at the moment is that I can do absolutely that. And the reason I can do absolutely that is because my uh, my primary commentator, my my color commentator, as they would be called in in the business, uh, the ones I share with, particularly Alex Jakes, it must be said, are so unbelievably talented that they never miss a single thing which is occurring in the race. So I can always work from the basis that, um, I can always work from the basis that everything that occurs is going to be covered off by him. I don't need, (laughs) I don't need, I don't need to, I don't need to inform at all. And so I can do the entertaining and the entertaining in this instance is letting people know how drivers feel. And in some way, living vicariously through the drivers who are who are on screen and you know i really enjoy doing that and the moment i love most about it is the moment where somebody afterwards or there was a piece of feedback and they say i never knew that i never thought that i never considered that and i love that because i feel i feel i feel seen <laughs> you know i feel seen as a, as a driver because i know how hard it is and i think we mustn't lose that uh you know we mustn't lose how much we revere uh, those race car drivers for taking on those difficult challenges. Yeah, definitely. It's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Going back to what you said before, it's funny you said about accidentally becoming a commentator because I've actually had the same experience. Uh, I moved to Paris and I've basically accidentally become a commentator. Not not motorsport yet. I'd love it to be motorsport, but for now it's football. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. And saying you're copying anyone is ridiculous because you don't have the time to think. It all happens and everything that you say is just organically what's coming out of you. Uh, but I know that I have made a few mistakes. Uh, you've obviously said there what kind of the most satisfying moment is. So have you had any that you, you said something and thought, oh, I really wish I hadn't said that. Or have you escaped without any embarrassing moments? So James, far? are you referring to your African football commentary there? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, th- I think I think we all do, you know, I think we all do. And I think in Twitter is very instant feedback as well. Um, I'm lucky oh, in yeah. the and, and, it, and it's a fun and it's a function of also the audience who watch Formula Two and Formula Three racing is they're engaged and they uh, and they kind of know what you mean because they're engaged enough to in motorsport to be watching those events. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I stood with Marcus Armstrong and Jahan Daruvela uh, at an event a couple of days ago, and I said to them. Guys, if I've said anything about you that, uh, and, and completely to your point, I totally agree. If I said anything about you, you didn't like, trust me, it's not personal. You're trying to keep hold of the race. You're trying to inform the audience about what's going on. 
and and there are casualties on there to, yeah. to that to that um, to that particular uh, endeavor that actually you know some, sometimes you say things and you think oof afterwards would I have phrased that differently but it, it exposes you you know because it puts you in that position where you have to say something you have to talk about what's going on and all of that has to happen now so you know at the end of the day it's a fast moving sport. It's a live broadcast. You say what you say and you stand on. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. It's something that I do highly respect. You know, we're, we're doing a podcast here, but we, we can edit out if we make a mistake or we say something that we wish we hadn't said. Um, but you just don't have the opportunity to do that. Um, but Alex, one weekend we see you in a car. The next week we, we listen to you talk about cars. Um, what does the future look like for you? Are you, uh, which side are you enjoying more? And, um, how long are you going to balance the two? Because it's, it is incredible to have a driver one week in a car and then the next week commentating. Yeah. I mean, I, I I kind of do a, I have a, a dangerous trio of things. I, of things I have been doing, um, over the last year or so, obviously the, the, the driving we've covered, um, the, the classic car stuff I love to do as well, uh, where I kind of hammer together old cars and take them out racing. Uh, that's a, that's a passion project really, but it, it's a, it's a great joy. And um, Adrian Flux, are, who do a load of uh, classic car insurance, if you're based in the UK, are, are super, super supportive of everything I do there. And then the F1 stuff. You know, I, I always took the view that uh, all three of those things are are quite, you know, competitive things to be doing. You know, you're in media, uh, you're in sport. You know, these are things that I have. A, I'm, I'm fantastically privileged to be able to do. And require a competitive edge to be able to continue to do i was always under the slightly pessimistic impression that some of my activities would eventually retire me um from them and so if i pu- pushed in all of those directions then eventually whatever you know slightly slightly darwinist uh career path in that whatever i'm strongest at will just move to the front and and I think that that almost certainly will eventually happen. Uh, Darren Turner, long-term uh, Aston Martin uh, ambassador, driver, and, and great, I think, of sports car racing, once said to me, just do everything you're asked to do to the absolute best of your ability and then see what happens. <laughs> and I and I and I really it's one of the best pieces of advice I've ever I've ever received. It was fantastic uh, quote, and it's something I really uh, take to to every single race and every single comm session. I think I'm going to take that from you as well. So thank you for that, Alex. Um, let's talk a bit about F1 and F2, um, and a bit about F3 if we if we can get into it. But this season in F1 has been very different to last season. What's your take if you're comparing these two seasons that we've just had in terms of the colossal battle last year and this year, you could say fizzling out a bit early. What's your sort of short take on, on the season we've just had? I mean, I, I'm amazed by the development of the Red Bull through the year. I think that the, when you look back at how competitive, for example, Ferrari were when we turned up to the first couple of events uh, of the season, um, the takeaway is the efficiency and the effectiveness of that Red Bull team. Uh, and, uh, it's something that I would have attributed to Mercedes, you know, less than, less than six months before the season started. If you, if you asked me, you know, you're going to get a new set of regulations, who's going to get their head around it? Who's going to get that car? To point B, the fastest, I'd have said Mercedes and I'd have been wrong because, you know, Red Bull have done that. And of course, you know, there's so much focus on the front of the championship. There's always unsung heroes, you know, throughout the grid, someone outperforming their car. This year, who would you say has been the most underrated driver or the, the one who's kind of not been given the recognition they deserve? I mean, uh, Alonso. Alonso's always, always spectacular. When you look at um, uh, the, the, some of the drives that he's put in, um, I think... McLaren have been up and down through the year, but when you look at the comparison, I know it's been having a difficult time between Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris uh, across the garage at McLaren. The 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 differences are the differences are stark. Um, same thing could be well, same thing could be said of Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. But when you look at the 
when you look at the um, the job that Sergio Perez has done, he actually has performed his function incredibly well for Max. But who do I think? You, you know, honestly, I think in terms of laying himself on the line for the team and performing, Sergio actually is an unsung hero purely because the results haven't been there in some way, but the results haven't been there because he's been doing his job and his job is not necessarily always to get that result. The job has been to secure the result to Mac for, for Mac. So the old Mexican minister of defense has, has been somewhat of an unsung, <laughs> uh, an unsung uh, hero, hasn't he throughout the year? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, obviously for next year, we've got some new drivers joining the grid, including former F2 drivers with Oscar Piastri, Nick DeVries, and most recently Logan Sargent. What are your thoughts on these guys joining the grid and who do you think will have the better season in 2023? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I, I'm interested to see um, what Nick can do uh, because I think you know, Monza is an interesting circuit and when he had his little cameo uh, this year, it, it's it's beneficial in some way. It's not particularly physical as a, as a racetrack, although driving a Formula One car is always physical, but he looked finished at the end of the race. Um, it's quite simple. And it relies on the the engineering of the car and so on. And so for a track to make a debut at, it's probably the optimum uh, solution. I can't wait to see what he can do throughout the course of the season in terms of, we know he's a great driver. I've seen him deliver in, you know, in a Formula E car. I've seen him deliver in a sports car. He can, he can string apexes together. Uh, in terms of F1 level of, of development and moving forward. I think that will be uh, Nick DeVries' challenge. Uh, Logan Sargent has got to keep his head together uh, and have uh, a season of performance. I I was interested in his uh, final couple of races in Abu Dhabi, how he reacted to the pressure of having to uh, achieve those final few super license points. There was a lot of radio stress. There was a lot of, you know, uh, little mistakes throughout free practice, little mistakes throughout qualifying. He'll have to keep, you know, his head uh, underneath him uh, if he's going to achieve. Uh, Piastri is an unbelievable talent. We've seen that. Uh, he's got a natural feel for the tyre. He's got a natural ability in in qualifying, although I believe that actually his race performance is what really makes him stand out, his feel for the tyre and his racecraft. But he's put himself in a contractual position where he is down a cul-de-sac of having to perform against Lando. And I think that is going to be a remarkably aggressive experience in his, in his first year. So for me, Oscar is in a total sink or swim position and we'll find out extremely quickly whether he's either shooting for the stars or out of formula one. Um, Logan, if he keeps his head together, I think we'll have a solid year, but could be a driver who struggles with a bit of a uh, uh, a head meltdown. And uh, as yeah, as for the rest, we'll uh, we'll have to see. But I think Oscar has the best chance of having a great year next year. And kind of looking at the the F two field, you know, obviously this year we had a, a, a very strong grid, uh, and obviously a few guys moving up. And obviously you mentioned Lando Norris there. How do you feel last year's F2 grid compares with that kind of class of Russell, Leclerc, Albon um, and Norris from a few years back? And also again, next year you've doing, you know, you've got Owasa, you've got some really great talents, but also you've got, you know, Leclerc, Maloney, um, Behrman coming through from F3 who all, you know, have a lot of talent as well. Yeah, there are, there are some great drivers moving up and it was interesting to watch the testing actually uh, at the end of the year and see who was performing uh, or, or or vice versa. It's always hard to make judgments about. I mean, when we look back at um, Norris, Russell, there were there were so many intricacies to that championship. You were right at the beginning of the of the life cycle of the car, so had all those kind of stalling issues. Remember, and drivers performing in in some other ways. So you could argue that that championship was open for 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 some reliability reasons. Um, even I think this year has been a strong year of Formula Two. I think. Uh, the year that Oscar Piastri came through, you know, he drew the championship forward from the front, uh, to be quite honest, in a similar way to the way Felipe Dragovic has done before, but it will all, that will always be seen through the filter of his multiple years 
in the series, uh, whereas Oscar came through and, you know, all of the names that come through deliver and, and, and move straight on, you know, the, the Lewis Hamilton technique of rocking up, winning the main feature series category and taking off straight into Formula One with McLaren. Um, I I think it's been a very strong year, especially Felipe Drogovic, um, who I believe deserves to be in a Formula One car uh, in the short term, even having uh, taken uh, multiple years to get to to the top of Formula Two. But it's going to be so interesting for me to see how particularly Oscar Piastri performs uh, this year in F1. And then in terms of um, next year as well, you know, Nico Hulkenberg is obviously coming back into the seat at Haas at the expense of Mick Schumacher. Uh, do you think it's becoming more difficult for the guys in F2 to kind of cement their place in F1? And do you think we'll see more drivers take the kind of Nick DeVries route of you know, like Drogovic, kind of winning it, you know, kind of a few after a few years, then maybe having a year or two outside of a race seat um, or an F1 seat at least, um, and then getting their opportunity later on. I, I think there's there's tremendous danger in that actually for for young drivers as 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 it sits because when you look at Nick DeVries's route, I mean, obviously he kept his hand in with with the Mercedes uh, connection. Um, and, and was continuously around the Formula One paddock, which is why he, he's then able to jump back in. But he stands on the shoulders of, of I'm going to say hundreds, because I believe there are, of drivers who've taken off into other forms of motorsport and then uh, and then made their various moves. You know, uh, a driver like Dan Tictum, who sets off towards uh, Formula E, you know, or, or, and, and then, and then never comes back. You, um, you see Marcus Armstrong just recently announced in an Indy car, their route back to the formula one paddock is incredibly sort of convoluted without any kind of academy system to keep them, to keep them on the path. So I think it, it will be perceived as dangerous for any driver who is genuinely focused on making a name in Formula One. I mean, you, you cite Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah, I agree with you that he, you know, he goes away and comes back in this kind of super sub role, but he's a driver with so much Formula One experience now, having taken the normal route. You know, there was a, there was a period of time where Nico Hulkenberg was cited as as the next Michael Schumacher when he was moving through uh, Formula Three and and so on, and then arrived at the base of Formula One and, and, and delivered, then went away. Um, but I don't think that I don't think that drivers can still can appropriate. They should be able to, and I would love to see them be able to. But I don't think that drivers can still umbrella around the world of motorsport and then and then come back to the world of Formula One without considerable support. Honestly, so one of those then following a similar sort of line would be um, Jamie Chadwick. So she she's obviously been in the W series. Um, she's now gone to Indy rather than taking that Formula Three route. What's your, what's your take on that latest announcement? And and as as a whole, females in in getting into the F three and F two lineup. Well, I mean, obviously there's uh, the, this new series that, that Formula One have come out with. I'm interested to see the, the progress of that. Um, I was at Wilton Mill the other day, which is a, a kart track here in, in the UK. Um, and I was incredibly buoyed actually to see a, a pretty much 50, 50 balance between, uh, boys and girls and indeed young men and women, um, pounding round in, in Rotax maxes, pounding round in, in all sorts of, um, in all sorts of different stuff. So I think that the W series has, has, has played certainly a, you know, a flag flying function, uh, for, for, for female drivers in motorsport, which is a incredibly positive thing. Um, for me, Jamie, uh, is, is I shared a car with Jamie actually at the Nürburgring 24 hours in 2019, um, and, and, you know, we, we, we got on really well. She, she acquitted herself very well in the car. Um, and, and I believe this is a real make or break moment for that sort of series conceptually, because now she's going to jump back into what I would consider, what I would always consider an indie lights car. I know they, they change in terms of their branding, but it's, it's very much rejoining the mainstream, um, uh, and 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 very similar to sort of 
how I remember Jan Mardenborough doing, um, who who was the winner of the uh, the 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 gaming route GT Academy setup, which was another of these sort of conceptually innovative ways to get drivers into you know the top upper reaches of motorsport and then the upper reaches of single seater racing for Jan. That first year for me make or breaks the concept. So uh, we'll be watching with interest to see how how Jamie gets on. Okay, so as we're nearly out of time, we have um, saved the best question till last. Now, this is a very special question, Alex. We've asked it to every guest we've had, including Crofty and um, even Jan Magnussen and all sorts of people uh, from the motorsport world. But here at the Formula Nerds, we have a time machine, and it's the motorsport time machine. Now, we're going to give you one free ride in it today. And you can go anywhere, past, present or future, in any category of motorsport. You can drive any car, you can commentate on any race, you can watch any race, you can do anything you want in this motorsport time machine. Uh, in, with your one one free ride in it for now, where are you going and why? Easy. Driving a Porsche 917 in the 1970s, 1971 Le Mans 24 hours. Don't call me Steve McQueen. Uh, but, 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 um, yeah, that's, that's, it is so, 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 so simple for me. Yeah. Porsche 917, um, in, in the 1971, uh, Le Mans 24 hours and, uh, is the one with the golf livery. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, I just, it's it. And, and the, and the reason, I mean, that, that movie for me, you know, it, it characterizes, characterizes my love of, of motorsport, you know, it's 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 candid it's bold it's loud uh you know it's got that kind of sense of anticipation and slight danger that uh that i love uh, about racing and um, so for me that is just such such an easy sell um i drove a lola t70 uh, a couple of times this year which is a car that would have competed throughout that era um of of motor racing and it's everything i hoped it would be so well, Alex, I can hear the people cheering with your answer there. I think that's going to be a popular one, which a lot of people would would love to see. Um, so, thank you for for your trip in the motorsport time machine. Um, what are your plans for the for the off season? Obviously, now it's well, we're heading into Christmas. So, so what what's Alex Brundle doing over until he's back in the car? So, a little bit of training uh, has to be done, of course. We have kind of I don't let trainings. I know some drivers let training lapse uh into into christmas but i kind of i kind of never do it's too hard to get back going again yeah. uh, in january so uh that, i know that, i know that, that feeling to... going to the gym alex so i can relate to that yeah. <laughs> that has to keep going and then you know we kind of do everything everybody else does while we're busy charging around the world driving driving racing cars you get you you go over you go out to the door to your stack of mail and you go, ah, right, yeah, due, 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 date, due date, September the 10th, better get on to them because uh, <laughs> you've, you've not been home. Mm. Um, so all of that's going on. And, uh, yeah, getting, getting ready for next season's, uh, getting ready for next season's motorsport. Very exciting stuff. Awesome. Well, we all hope you have a fantastic Christmas. And thank you very much for joining us and talking to us. Um, shall we keep in touch and speak again next year? Yeah, of course. Love to. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Abby. Thank you for coming along. It's been a pleasure and it was lovely to meet you and speak to you, Alex. And James? Yep, uh, what Abby said. <laughs> and Sam, yeah. what were you going to say? <laughs> I don't think I'm not. Yeah, that's a full start. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Yeah, pleasure sir, to meet you. And uh, yeah, it's been great fun. So that's all for now. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Alex. And we will be back next week. Goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.